Let's go to the Lord once again. Father, as we turn to your word, we pray that you will do a work among us. Help us to see the truth of your word, the value of it, the eternal roots of it. Father, we pray that you will strengthen us in our faith and in our service, that our lives will be honoring and glorifying to you. Father, we pray that you will do a work among us and not only in us, but through us, Father, to others. Lord, we pray that through this day and what we learn today, that we will not only take root in our hearts, but Father, the truth of it will be shared with our family and our neighbors, those around us. The Father, King George, will come to see the reality of who you are, all of us here in the county. Father, we pray for our sister churches who this day are gathering. We pray that faithful brothers will preach your word rightly and that it will not fall in deaf ears, but your people will be strengthened and encouraged. And all of us, Father, will continue to endure and persevere in our faith so that the lost will come to know who Jesus Christ is and they will worship him. Father, we pray that you'll do the same as McLean Bible Church and Pillar DC come together as a new church this fall. We pray that you will establish them according to your word, that they will stand on your word and proclaim it, Father, boldly and rightly with the love and the grace that you have given us so freely. Father, we pray for the Azerbaijani in Iran, over 16 million people who don't yet know the good news of Jesus Christ. They have been blinded by their efforts and their hard hearts, and they have been trapped in the false religion of Islam. Father, break them of that entrapment. May they come to see the majesty, the beauty, and the grace you have so freely given through your Son. I pray that brothers and sisters will be sent out among the Azerbaijani, whether it be from this fellowship or somewhere else, Father, that we will take the good news to those who need to hear it. Father, we do pray, as we have all month, for the Guthries. We pray that you'll help them to continue their work. They, too, will be strengthened today as they gather with fellow believers in worship. Father, do a work among all your people. We know we need this. We confess we are weak, broken vessels. We need the reminder. We need the truth. Father, remind us today. Sustain us by your word. Amen. At first glance, today's text may seem unimportant. It may seem long If you're not consistently in the scriptures and already understand the importance of the list of names with genealogies or a census like today's passage, the text will seem completely foreign to you and frankly and honestly probably boring to you. This kind of detail isn't emphasized today. We normally want the big stuff. We We want what seems to matter, all the big stuff. That's where all the focus is, and that's where all our time is put into. That's what's talked about. But you know, it's precisely passages like this one this morning where we see God is intimately involved in all aspects of life and with His people. He cares for His church. 
Each and every individual is known and is accounted for. And he knows all the details down to the minute details of life. That is where God is at. It's my hope that after today you'll see not only have an appreciation for this text, but earnestly value names like this, the list of names that are throughout the Bible. Nothing in Scripture is extra material. In fact, we would be at a loss if I decided to skip over this and get into chapter 8, which has some real gospel value. But that is not the case. Today has value for us also. Everything in Scripture has a purpose. And it's there for us to help us and to show us more about God and His glorious purposes. And it is there for our encouragement in our faith and our worship. Reminded that all of Scripture is literally inspired. It's God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. That we may be complete, Paul says. That you and I may be complete and equipped for every good work. When we take that passage in 2 Timothy and apply it here in Nehemiah, and we were to skip over today's text, we would then be incomplete. We would not be complete the way God wants us. We would not be fully prepared for the good works if we skip the names and these numbers when we come across them. God has good, life-giving, heart-filling reasons for us to spend time in lists like this. Now, there may be names that are hard to pronounce and you're witnesses of my struggle with that. There may be lots of numbers and figures when they're red. Your eyes become all glassy and you just kind of brush over your head and we're ready to move on. But if we are to be a people who are conformed to the image of Christ, we need texts like today. We need to be challenged and brought to passages like this that make us slow down and ask, what is this really about? We need to consider their worth. I want you, you and I together, I want you to be full of God's truth, to be able to take it all in, to not be anxious or unsure when you do your own study or when questions arise in Scripture. So I'm glad that we have this text this morning. It may seem long and tedious, but these words are God's words. And your eternal good is in this passage. God is establishing a community in this passage that will be ready and eager for worship. And he's continuing to establish and build that community today in his church. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are part of a community that's brought together for worship. Building a community for worship is what God is doing in this passage in chapter 7. We may be thinking, how did I get that out of a list of names and a bunch of figures? And that'd be a good question. And that's why we're going through it this morning.
We're going to look at this passage from three different angles. First, in order to better understand why are lists like this in the Bible in the first place. They all serve a purpose and they're part of the grand story of the Bible. Next, we'll look at the immediate context in Nehemiah to see what's going on. There's more going on than just the simple building of the walls. I've said that again and again. I hope that that has has sunk in and you remember that. And then, thirdly, why it's important for us today who live almost 2,500 years later. So first, God's purpose in having a list of names in the Bible. Simply put, these lists of names show God is faithful. It show His faithfulness. Each time it makes a connection from what has happened before to what's happening next. What good is it to list the exiles here who return? It shows God is trustworthy. It is evidence that God keeps His promises and we can believe in what He says. No matter what the present circumstances may look like, you and I can stake our entire lives on what God has to say no matter what it looks like in front of us. We can believe Him and we need to trust Him. This text, along with all the other list of names throughout Scripture, tell us that when God gives His Word, He keeps it. It's that simple. The exile that the Jews experienced was not a permanent judgment. It was a hard lesson. But here His people were in the Old Testament form reestablished and their standing with Him affirmed. The exile was not the end. God's word is the end. God is serious when he says how his people are to live. We are to have lives that are holy and set apart from the rest of the world. They are to be in line with his goodness and reflect his character. We are to be a people whose lives confirm that God is worthy and he's worthy of our submission. He's worthy of our obedience and he's worthy of our devotion here and it's to be in a way that attracts other people to God God's people are to live openly so that others will be drawn to him and realize their existence is all about and it's all for God this happens as his people delight and who God is. And they read the Word. And at this time, they read the law of God. And, and they, they worship Him. And they devote themselves to it. And they base their lives upon it. But God's people had forgotten this. They were chastised. And they were taken into exile. But God does not continue His relationship with His people based on how His people are. If that were the case, there would be no relationship. No, God bases the relationship with His people on Himself, on what He declares. It is a covenantal relationship based on what He promises and then what He expects and what He provides His people to do. 
Our role is to believe in that covenantal promise. Our role is to believe in God and to walk accordingly. Every time a genealogy is given in the Bible, it confirms that what God says is true to those he covenants with. It's what he does. He never breaks a promise. We just read that long passage in chapter 7 to say God never breaks his word. This is the same people, the same covenantal people all throughout the ages. His grace, God's grace is given to them again and again. And God has committed himself to a people and he pours out his grace upon them so that they will then continue with him. God had promised Abraham that through his descendants, a nation would rise and be a blessing to all people. A history began with Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. And Jacob's 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. The promise is furthered with Moses. And then the kingdom of Israel is firmly established with David. And God says a descendant of David will sit on the throne forever. And then the kingdom falls apart. The Jews are conquered and exiled. What's to come of these people? Where's the promise? Is it all a result because of their sin that everything's off the table now? What's to come? It's right here in our passage. And looking to this list, it's confirmed who this people are that have returned. They are God's people He didn't go to another people. By His grace, He has kept the same people and He's bringing them to Himself. The blessing to all people will become a reality through the people that God has chosen. Imagine if you were one of those people in Nehemiah's day. You'd been told that as a Jew, you were a chosen people of God who He has established a covenant with then after the exile, there's uncertainty in there. There's uncertainty if if what God had said generations before would actually become true. What better way to reestablish and revive a people and who they are with God than to list their genealogy? Nehemiah is reminding them that God never changes. He's always the same, and He will do what He promises. We can say this about each time a genealogy is given. Every time a list of names, you can say, God never changes. He always keeps His Word. Every time. What better way to reestablish this? They show that God keeps His Word and He's faithful. The covenant with his people is still there. It will be fulfilled. And for us and for God's people in that day, it also connects what has happened prior to the list of names to what's to come. This is what I mean. There's a history that happened before the names were given. And this one, it lists the descendants of the people God covenanted with before the exile. This list in Nehemiah shows a continuity with that people. 
This list shows a continuation of the same covenant. God is fulfilling the covenant, but there's more that's going on here. That connects them with the past. As Nehemiah brought out the genealogy and he read their names and the the family relationships, that's connecting them to the past, but there's something that's to come. God will have a people that he forms from which will come a blessing to all people. God is not only reestablishing a people for that time, but he has something else in store. And we know this in the New Testament, the list continues. This genealogy list continues through the generations to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A thread through the genealogies to the one that is the new Adam who saves his people and he gives new life. And he is that blessing to all nations. God is sovereignly directing history here with this genealogy toward the coming of the Messiah. As you read through scripture and you go through these genealogies, you see what you see is that God is revealing more and more of his plan. It's not just about that group before him in that day. It's not just about the the people of God at that time. There's something else that's also going on. You see that God reveals more and more of his redemptive plan the closer you get to the birth of Jesus. God's promise to bless all nations is not just through a people that he keeps, but it's through his own son. The birth of Christ is not God's way of fixing the world. It's not like he looked at his people and said, they can't do what I have them to do. They, they break it all the time. They can't do it. There's a problem I got to fix. And so he brings his son and says, will you fix this for me? That's not it at all. This was a plan before the creation of the world that was brought through a people that God keeps for himself And this shows that God is faithful to that plan no matter what. That explains why genealogies are in Scripture. It's kind of like the the thousand foot level that you can write down and take note of anytime in your own study you come to a passage. But there's more. We have the long view with God's faithfulness and the fulfillment of his plan. But why this particular list? Why this long list in all these different figures and numbers? There, in this instance, there's an immediate context of what's going on to understand this as God's people. We need to look at it from that angle as well. Nehemiah says in verse 5, God put into my heart to gather the people by genealogy. The reason for this particular list is that it will stir within us praise to God. This was not just a routine. This was not just checking the list. This was stirred within the heart of the governor there of God's people for this to happen. As you go through this list in chapter 7, you see that God is doing something here for Nehemiah and the rest of the people. And what he's doing is that he's restoring a people, a community who will worship him. He's not just bringing them back from exile. He's setting things up so that they will enter his presence once again. 
It's important to know that this list is similar to Ezra chapter 2. That is what Nehemiah refers to when he says, I found the book of the genealogy of those who had to come. That's Ezra 2. Now, there's different names. If you go down through there, some of the names are different. Some of the figures are different. But those differences can be explained by knowing that there's 90 years between Ezra 2 and Nehemiah 7. Now, there's reasons for this. It may have been updated. Some could have returned that weren't previously logged. But it is the same list. It's the same group of people. Now, rather than spending the time looking at the names in Nehemiah's list and going down through the figures and things, I want to point out what these people did. There's reason why they are described as they are in Nehemiah. In verse 7, the leaders are mentioned. In verses 8 through 38, it's the regular people. In verses 39 to 42, it's the priests. In verse 43 are the Levites. Verse 44 are the singers. Verse 45, the gatekeepers. Verses 46 to 56 list the temple servants. Verses 57 to 60, descendants of Solomon's servants. And even those of questionable ancestry are listed in verses 61 to 65. And then the totals of the people and the gifts are listed in verses 66 to 73. When I began reading, you did not know how fast I could get through 68 verses, did you? When you put this together, what do you have? You have leaders and people together, along with the priest and the Levites and the singers and the temple servants. These are people who has a primary purpose. Their distinction among the people is worship of God. Remember in verse 4, we ended last week. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. Earlier in Ezra, the temple had been rebuilt. That's, That's the big event in Ezra's book, the temple being rebuilt. Nehemiah has gone back to rebuild the city walls. But what good is it? To have a temple and new strong walls for the city if no one is there within it. The city needs people. And the people are brought there for a purpose. And that is to worship God in his temple. You see, God is not honored in the temple if there's no one there to worship. Just having the building there was not the purpose. That was where they were to gather to worship. Nor is he honored with strong walls. God doesn't need walls. He doesn't need a temple to build up his ego. He doesn't look down on earth and he sees these buildings built with man's hands and said, oh, now I'm important. That's not what he's looking at. It's the people. It's the worship. He's charged Nehemiah to rebuild so he can gather his people to himself Once again, all along, Nehemiah's goal has not been to rebuild the city walls. Now, that was pressing upon him, but God had more in mind. Now that they're rebuilt and the city is secure, the real goal of renewing the people for worship can begin. And if that is what it is, which I I submit to you, this is what's going on, okay, 
If there are people there, and that's their purpose, is to worship, then who should be part of that worship? Who should be part of this community who enjoys this renewal with God? What kind of city is this to be? Who can worship in this community in a way that will please God and be an example to the nations? Who's eligible? Right? God is a God who's holy and perfect and good. And He has laid out there are ways to worship Him that please Him. We don't get to just choose to decide. However, you have to see who's going to be part of this community. It's not just anyone. God has deemed the community for Himself. And we're told who in this passage. We're told who. It's the ones who God designated who came up out of captivity, he says in verse 6. The ones God has covenant with. At this time in history, God has said it is the Jews who will be his witnesses and who will declare his glory to a world who's blinded to it. Listing those who return in this genealogy confirms who it is that belongs in God's city. The rebuilding of the walls, what it did, it secured the people within the city. It secured them. And it enables them to have lives that will be centered around the temple who worship Him according to the Old Testament form of worship. And God is very particular at this time about the temple worship. If there's no proof that they are descended from Aaron... They could not participate in the priesthood. Marrying into the community would not qualify a person. Joining the returnees on their journey back home would not qualify a person. Being earnest in worship does not qualify a person. God's criteria for worship must be met. He would not allow anyone who's not directly descended from Aaron to be part of the priesthood. If there's no proof, then those in the city would be considered unclean until a priest would arise for them. So there are those who are qualified to enter the temple and to worship. And there are those who are disqualified in the priesthood. This was important if proper worship was to be reestablished, holy and accepting to God. Now this right here, I want to pause just for a second. This gives us insight into who will occupy and serve in the city to come one day. That great and glorious celestial city, the new Jerusalem. It's important to keep that in mind. We don't, we don't want to be like those in verse 61 who can't trace who they belong to. But even with that, there's verses 62 through 65. Even these people are given a chance when a priest will arise to consecrate them to account for their sins and wash them and make them clean. Peter tells us those who are Christian are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Access to this priesthood, access to this holy nation comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. 
who has risen up as the high priest and has consecrated and made us clean. All who believe in Jesus freely enter the most sacred throne room of God and are now able to worship and to serve. Now this list in Nehemiah is more than just about temple worship. It's more than just about the gathering. It's about a life of worship. That's why you have the common folk and the leaders Mention moral, sacred living dedicated to honor and glorify and obey the teachings of God. It is a life dedicated to God for worship. The rest of the world needs a community that models what worship and life with God is like. What it's like under His rule, in His care, and who live and make choices according to to his sovereign word. There needs to be a visible God-centered community the world can look at and see what it is to be the people of God and how they live with him. People who are witnesses who share his praises with others. Walls don't do that. Buildings don't do that. God, his plan, his goal to reestablish Israel was not finished with the brick and the mortar. It was the people. People created in His image who've been given grace to grasp and believe and be in the midst of His holy presence. They are the ones who echo His praises and proclaim His greatness and His splendor. The church today continues what's being reestablished here and Nehemiah, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the privilege of being counted among those who are a community who worships our great God. We also have a list of names. God has written names in the Lamb's book of life for all those who are redeemed and have eternal life full of worship. Those who have their names written are assured of this new life in Christ forever. Because of Christ, all of us who believe are in this community together to live and work and minister. We struggle, we worship, and we bear with each other under the sovereign rule of God. And the world sees this, and they will know that God is worthy of their worship. That is what it's to be. That's what chapter 7 is giving us. This is how the proper worship is to be like. And that is what we've come to know. Now we get through all this. We get through all this that God is setting up a community for worship. And then we come to verse 73. This is how the chapter ends. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants in all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. So this long passage, the people of God have been identified. Their purpose is clear to worship God. And this then ushers in chapter 8, where the covenant, we'll see, is going to be renewed as the law is read. The people are grieved at that time. But at the same time that they're grieving and what has become, they are being spiritually awakened 
to this new worship, this restored worship. That ends us with this. Knowing the truth must lead to responding and living in the truth. Knowing that nothing has changed. Knowing that there's a chapter 8 coming next week. The church still must be a community that worships. There is a worship of God. It must lead to devoting our lives to Christ and His ways. And those around us, when we do that, will have the gospel confirmed and we will be renewed in that worship. May God grant us the hearts to look to Christ, to see Him as the one who upholds the covenant on our behalf. And may He help us bask in and live afresh in His grace as a sanctified community that worships. Let's pray.